The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing and our kickoff of Gen X Movie Month. I am your host, Erin Marlowe, and I'm very excited to announce that today we are going to be kicking things off with Heathers. Uh, Heathers is the 1988 uh pretty much just like a cult classic because it made nothing, and I'll go over the box office here in a minute. Um, but I'm very excited because I'm joined by Sasha. And if you don't know what Heathers is about, I mean, we're going to be spoiling the movie. This is from 1988, so I don't feel Why bad. are you here if you don't know what it's about? <laughs> Move on. I, I'm Pick shocked. another episode. Yeah. I will be very shocked, especially since demographically, the majority of our audience is Gen X and Millennials. So I am positive you know this movie. I don't know if you've seen it. Maybe you haven't seen it. But I'm positive you at least know it. Heathers is, this is the IMDb description. Remember, sometimes these are great and sometimes they're yeah uh at westerberg high where clicks rule jocks dominate and all of the popular girls are named heather it's gonna take a veronica and mysterious new kid to give teen angst a body count (laughs) i don't know wow teen (laughs) angst a body count well i mean there is the line of course in the movie um my teen angst has a body count has a body count uh, this, of course, stars Monona Ryder as Veronica Sawyer, Christian Slater as Jason J.D. Dean, Shannon Doherty as Heather Duke, Lizanne Falk as Heather McNamara, Kim Walker as Heather Chandler, um, and a bunch of other people. I'm just going to stop right there because that's some of the main, main people in the movie. Uh, the budget on this, I just wanted to go over a little bit that why I say this is definitely a cult movie because it did fail at the box office. Nobody really wanted to make this movie. I want to say Winona Ryder, her representative said, do not make this movie. This will ruin your career because nobody's going to, because of how dark and twisted this movie is. The budget, this is estimated, was $3 million. The worldwide gross for this movie was $1.1 million dollars so it was, it was almost about 1.2 but it was about 1.1 million dollars so that is not a lot of money the opening weekend in the u.s this made just 177,247 dollars i feel like nowadays that's one movie theater's opening weekend for movie. <laughs> yes yes but i mean even back then this is a failure i mean it really is a failure 
uh, when it goes to that. And of course, there are so many memorable quotes in this as well. And I know when I was growing up, we would say these quotes to each other all the time. And of course, there are a lot of things in this movie that when you watch it now, oh boy. (laughs) Oh boy. So if you are Gen Z. All the trigger warnings. Yes. I wish I'm going to give those because this is like, um, yeah. So. We are going to be talking massively trigger warning for suicide, the biggest trigger warning I can possibly give for suicide. This movie is deals so much with suicide. That's like the main thing in this movie. Um, so that's the biggest trigger warning I can possibly give is for suicide. Another huge trigger warning for um, sexual assault, because the number of times that happens in this movie is mind-blowing now. I, 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 When we get to some of that stuff, I will share something that um, Winona Ryder said about, about a particular scene. <laughs> and then trigger warning also for homophobia. Uh, trigger warning, huge, 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 huge trigger warning. The other biggest trigger warning we can give is for school, school shootings, school violence, school violence, school violence, school violence. I know uh, the, the big thing, I'm just going to say this right now, um, is that this has become, this is from the trivia on IMDb, this has become one of the most controversial movies ever made about the high school experience. When it was released, detractors thought it was making fun of suicide, and now it's uncomfortably similar to many school shootings. So that's why I say heavy trigger warning. When I was watching this again last night, and I've seen this movie, I don't even know how many times, it really blew my mind the school stuff towards the end the last stuff really was um mind-blowing and i'll get to what the alternate ending what the original ending actually was for this movie um which would have been holy moly (laughs) um yes yes uh but i guess this also bears a big similarity and i've never seen this to another movie and the director um i should also give the director's name sorry um, the writer is Daniel Waters, and the director was Michael Lehman. Uh, Daniel Waters originally really wanted Stanley Kubrick to direct this movie. <laughs> Sasha's face. I think he wanted it to be like three hours long, too, or something like that. <laughs> Sasha's No! All the no! No. Sasha's face. <laughs> I can't even imagine this done by Kubrick. Oh my gosh! They they like, with all of the interpersonal violence that's in it already, and just like, I mean, this is just trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. Um, mm-hmm. And I love it. Don't get me wrong. Like I am Gen X. This was my movie. I love this film. But Kubrick. Oh my! <sighs> and the and you know Kubrick was known for um, well the the hell he put Shelley Duvall through for The Shining. Uh, was disgusting. Just he was a very abusive, abusive, abusive director. And you would so, have broken those actors. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the young actors having them do some of these things, and I can't even imagine what he would have put them through. So I'm very, very happy that didn't happen because I think, and I don't know how this would have played if it had been done by him. If it would have gotten a more, I don't know, more um, respect. Although, honestly, this has a 72% on Metacritic, which is actually very high 
for Metacritic. It's like, that's a very high rating. So yeah, and people love this movie. This is a very, very beloved movie. Massacre at Central High is like this movie from the 70s. And when you read about what that movie is about, this is so similar, except for it's replacing, um, like there's only one person that is killing the high school students and it's a guy. And I guess um, it's a little bit different, but if you read the synopsis of those, they're very, very similar. And the writer said, oh, I never saw that, but I may have read about it and it subconsciously got in my brain. Um, but remember, there really aren't very many original ideas out there. There are, you know, ideas that spawn off of little germs of things all the time anyway. So I want to know, Sasha, so what were your first impressions of the film? And do you have any memories of when you first saw it? I cannot recall when I first saw this movie, which means I probably most likely did not see it in a theater. I can guarantee I did not see it in a theater. I had to have rented it you know, way back in the day from a video store on VHS cassette tapes, <laughs> be kind, rewind, um, is how I had to have seen it. But I do remember watching it and loving it and then watching it, you know, like as many times as I could before I had to return the tape. And then it became one of those movies that, like you said, through high school, there's certain lines that just, it became part of our vocabulary. It's, you know, you just say them randomly and everybody knew them. So yeah, it was very much ingrained in the high school experience. And it's one of those movies uh, when I had regular cable TV and even, you know, before Netflix and all of that stuff, there was a time before Netflix kids. Just so you know, <laughs> Netflix wasn't always a thing. Um, there was television with commercials. <laughs> it's terrifying. Uh, but if it came on, you know, like late night TV or something, it didn't matter how far into the movie it was. It's one of those movies that I will watch at any point. It didn't matter. Halfway done, just starting towards the end. I, if I ran into Heather's at any point, I would watch it because it was just, the sound's so jacked up having just recently watched it again, but it was just, it's such a fun movie to watch. And I know we gave all these giant trigger warnings and i wrote down the list of all of the negative things in it and it's a long list y'all yeah like it hits any topic that it could possibly hit it hit all of them but yeah i i would watch it at any given moment when you know when you first said oh yeah we're gonna do gen x movies and we're doing heather's mix sign my ass up right now <laughs> where do i sign Who, what do i have to give up you want my dog? You want my cats? You want my kids? Take them. What do I need? Like, just sign me up. Because I, I do. I, I love this movie. And it is very much a cult classic. It is very toxic. There is some super, super problematic stereotyping. And not that it justifies it or excuses any of it. This movie was from 1988. And it is very reflective of what was going on at the time you know it was not things were not great in the 80s so i think it kind of reflected that but i do love this movie i i know for a fact i did not see this in the theater i i'm pretty positive it was either i rented it or it was on like cable some time or something because i was a preteen when this came out but i do remember watching of course like i have mentioned before and mentioned on our wednesday episode 
I was so in love with Christian Slater. I mean, just madly <laughs> in love with this man. And this was one of the movies, one of the reasons why. And we'll be getting, of course, to the characters here shortly. Uh, and I loved this movie so much because, uh, and I don't think when I was younger, I necessarily understood all of the context of this film. And I think when I got older, a lot of things struck me in a different way. But what I loved about this was how dark it was. Honestly, that was a big reason I loved this movie was the dark humor, um, how twisted it was. I always was kind of an outcast when I was younger. So seeing the popular kids <laughs> kind of get it to be honest, that was very nice to see when you're an outcast. I'm not saying I ever, I want to say big, big, big thing here. I never wanted to hurt anyone or anything like that. But it was nice to see like kind of that expressed of how awful and horrible clicks are. And that was a big reason this movie was made. And that's the big reason it was written is to sort of show that. And, and a big reason that like Winona Ryder wanted to do this movie is because of how awful she thought that kind of stuff was in high school. So that that's a big reason she wanted to do it. She also wanted to do it because um, the same week that she received the script, a student from her high school committed suicide, which only inspired her more to do this film. Um, we will be getting into how they handle that stuff because I think you know, it, it is it is from the 80s, so it is definitely a product of its time. And it is one of those things when you're rewatching these movies, when we're covering Gen X movies and we're looking at these, there are so many things that like this movie could never, ever be made today. However, there is a musical version of this movie that has been around in the 2000s, too. So, I mean, there are issues galore with stuff from the 2000s, too, of course. But this is a movie that if they tried to make this movie, especially with school violence and everything like that, there's no way you could ever make this movie, ever. At least not that I, I can even think of, because it would be boycotted. It would be, and, and there's a lot of reasons to criticize this movie. I, um, and I will be critiquing this movie, even though I love it. And I have seen it, I don't even know how many times. And it was a movie that when we were younger, we would, you know, quote it all the time, you know, all the time. You know, I mean, even just even the line of corn nuts. And still to this day, every time I eat corn nuts or think about corn nuts, because I used to go on lots of road trips and I always had to have corn nuts. Um, I always think of Heather's, always. Um, you know, fuck me gently with a chainsaw. We used to say that all the time too. This is a movie that for our generation was so representative of our generation in a lot of respects. And even though it's kind of got a lot of surreal aspects to it, there is a lot of things in this movie that are very accurate to our generation. And so I think that's why it resonated so much. And it was even though there are issues with some of the suicide stuff in here, even though there are issues with that, on the other hand, this is one of the only movies from that time that really like looked at suicide like head on and the way that society reacts to suicide in a more, this may sound weird, but in a more realistic way, I think than other movies did. And I think that's another reason it resonated with teenagers and preteens and stuff, especially if you were at 
all an outcast or an outsider, I think it just completely resonated with you. And then, of course, Christian Slater and Winona Ryder were like the it stars of our generation, especially if you were outsiders. Yes, I have talked before about how it took me a long time to become a Winona Ryder fan, but still, these were the actors of our generation in a, in a lot of respects. So seeing them together also, I think, is another reason people loved it. And, um, you know, even like the made up song, Teenage Suicide, Don't Do It, <laughs> was so accurate, though, of stuff yep. from that day. That's the thing. It um, really was. Yes. I was just going to bring that up. I was like that, the whole song the whole like trying to win the contest for the song and the um what do they call her the hippie teacher what did she call oh herself? my gosh she oh uh, my gosh i my i don't God. i see i wrote I stuff literally down. just watched this yeah, and i wrote stuff down about her yeah. a lot because the hippie teacher was like, we have to help them yes it's like yeah i i think for gen x and i mentioned this before we a lot of us were raised by hippies or and a lot of those hippies became everything they supposedly were against and um we really felt abandoned by that generation because a lot of us i think felt like this that was the generation that was supposed to change the world and make things better and they didn't really as the way we viewed it and then they just kind of had this facade of oh my gosh back in that day it was so great and kumbaya and they lit the world on fire for us. Yes. Said, Here, exactly. it'll keep you warm. <laughs> that's the best what? way to put it. Oh my gosh. That's the best. Now? That is the best way to put it because it's so true. And then we basically raised ourselves. I mean, and, and I love my mom. I'm not dissing my mom because she was a single mother and she had, it was very hard to be a single mother, but we did raise ourselves in a lot of respects. I mean, that's just kind of what happened. And we were known as the latchkey generation. And it was, I love that. They they set the world on fire and then said, this will keep you warm. Because that's a lot of what it felt like. And when you watch the hippie teacher in this and her whole moment in the cafeteria where we're coming together with love and and her whole thing of whether or not to kill yourself is such a big decision. And the way she presented it, basically, she doesn't give a shit. She's just like, if I paint pretty flowers on this, it'll be okay, and I will look like the hero. And I think that's a lot of you know, what we felt. So I thought that was extremely accurate. That was one of the most accurate things in the movie, honestly, was her. Because, you know, I, I had high school teachers that were like that, too. You know, so it's, it, yeah. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. But I do want to talk about the characters, mainly the the main little bunch here. So we'll start with Veronica. So played, of course, by Winona Ryder. So what are your thoughts on Veronica? Veronica is the outsider who got scooped up into the popular group 
And I don't think she was prepared for what that entailed. Because there's several interactions she has with, like, uh, Betty Flynn, for example. It's like, I'm sorry I didn't make it to your birthday party. It's fine. Your mom said you had a date. I'd probably miss my own for a date, you know. And it's just like, she's got this genuine caring for people. But she got wrapped up in the Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. And is just kind of following along. Um, her clothing doesn't the the Heather's have very bright colors for specific reasons. Obviously, there's a lot of color palette choices, and Veronica is blues and grays and darker colors, so she's more of a muted character. But I think that is all part of her um, reflecting the outsider status coming in. My main question in this most recent rewatch is. How did she just, like, she just flatly goes along with everything with JD. There's no, true. <laughs> there's no even questioning anything. She is the flattest, most emotionless character in that, and not her character as a whole. Like, she's not flat and emotionless. But in that relationship, she's just like, yeah, whatever you say. Let's do it. We're going to do this and then yeah no problem i'll totally forge a suicide note that tracks i can i can do that yeah no problem she just went along with everything there was no questioning it Mm -hmm. she did make you're right she did make the comment about her teen angst having a body count which it very much does but she just went along with everything and in this most recent rewatch being now, right, I'm back in a high school teaching again, so it's kind of very different feel for me. I bet. And especially because we just had a recent shooting at East High School, which is in the same district I work in. Um, it's got very different feels being a high school teacher again now. Uh, but yeah, she, I just, I look at her and I look at some of my students and go, could they, could they be that flat? Because a lot of kids today have that they're just very flat, you know, how's your day? Uh-huh. Things okay? Uh-huh. They have no, they don't emote. And I feel like she was kind of one of those characters that went a little askew. Sorry. But she, no. I just, I really want to know how the hell did she just go along with everything so blindly? Like, yep, da, 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 da. you're cute. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> but she did the same thing with the Heathers, right? Whatever the Heathers said, she did. Oh, it's time for the lunchtime poll. Let's go do it. Yeah. Veronica, why aren't you doing this? Oh, we're going to go to this Kager Rager at the college. I'm taking you. She was very much a follower type character. Yeah, which is so interesting because I think she likes to present herself as a leader type character, but she's very much a follower. And I think it's also, um, you know, it would have been interesting to see what a, a, a female writing this or directing it, what it might have looked at like. Because honestly, I think some of this has to do with the fact that this was written by a man and directed by a man. But I do think it also speaks to when you're a teenager and you're a teenage girl, I think there is that part of you that you want so badly to be accepted and to be, um, to make your teenage years as painless as possible because being a teenager sucks. It just does. It's very hard. It's very painful. It's very lonely. It's You feel like it's never going to get better. You can feel that way. Um, high school can be very, very, very traumatic. And so I think 
a lot of what she represents is just the way you are as, as a teenage girl. So she is quote unquote lucky enough to be with the most popular clique, but she's also not respected by this clique, but they don't respect anybody really. They don't respect each other. They talk to each other like trash. They treat each other very awfully. And like they play, you know, croquet together. And there's such an interesting dynamic there of like playing this very rich game and very elitist game is the way croquet is sometimes thought of. And they're playing that together and kind of trying to outshine each other. And it's all about competition. And it's also about competition for men as well, for guys as well, not men because they're boys. But when you are a girl, you start learning this thing that's taught that is not necessarily a great thing where you are supposed to be in competition with each other. You're not friends, you're competitors. And that's a very, very toxic thing. And that, but that's a very real thing. And I hate that it's a real thing, but it is a, sadly a very real thing. And I think for her, she doesn't want to be in that competition, but she kind of is, and she doesn't know how to get out of it. And so I think the reason she gravitates so much towards JD, who is a narcissist, toxic, 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 like red flags all over the place. But the reason she gravitates towards him is he is such the antithesis of everything she's around right now. And he is like, I mean, a lot of us gravitate towards the bad boys. I would have gravitated towards this guy. Are you kidding me? I would have been in love with this guy in high school. So a lot of us, I think, at that age would gravitate towards someone like that. And because you're already on that thing of like, I've got to do everything to please this person. And so you kind of just kind of, I think, blindly go along with stuff, even though later, I think if she was to look back on it, because they've talked about making a sequel to this movie for years. And I, the sequel idea is awful, in my opinion. I'll tell you about it in a little bit, but um, I'll just tell you about it now. So the sequel would actually be like one of the ideas was that um, she finds out, Veronica finds out that JD was actually a secret CIA agent. And so the CIA contacts Veronica and wants her to assassinate a president who's played by, they wanted it to be played by Meryl Streep and the president's name would be Heather. Stupid, dumb, awful idea. I <laughs> Why is a CIA agent killing high school kids? Are they all operatives? <laughs> no, no, but I, I, I don't know. It's very weird. So I wouldn't want that, but ever. But I do think with this character, she would be someone that hopefully, and I think she kind of learns that going along, that this is all also about her kind of finding her freedom in a way and her freedom from having to go along with everything and kind of being at that precipice of you're not an adult. When you're a teenager, you're not an adult, but you're put in a lot of adult type situations. And she's definitely put in a lot of those. And so trying to navigate that way of that in a couple of years, she will be an adult and she will be expected to be making more adult decisions and trying to navigate your way through that and feeling like, you know, she has such a weird relationship with her parents and the whole, when they sit around and she's always, you know, her dad's like, why do I read these play novels? Cause you're an idiot. That's why you too, you know, the mom's saying you too. Mm -hmm. And just how, you know, that's just like this 
like playbook. Like they don't mean any of that. Like there's no connection there. And I think that happened a lot in that time. I can't speak to this generation, but that happened a lot back then is you didn't always feel connected to each other. And so I think she found so much connection with her peers and a lot of it was bad that she just kind of went along with this because it was so such the antithesis of what she was used to. And she wanted so badly to break free from this clique that this charming, sexy, dangerous guy presented this way. And even though I think she knew this was wrong, she knew this was bad, she still went along with it because she was like so entranced by this guy who was in a lot of respects gaslighting her and doing almost he was he's an awful human being. <laughs> but I think that's a lot of why she did. And I think, you know, if this was I think it's one of those situations where even though you're like, how does she go along with this? I think even she would be saying that, but because she's in the situation, she's so in the situation that she can't see the reality if that makes sense. You know, it's like it's like any domestic violence exactly yeah thing right once you're in it and you've been gaslit and you're in that relationship it's the i'm sorry it'll never happen again i'm sorry yeah. it'll never happen again it was a one time thing oh he really does love me he really does care you know yeah mm -hmm. i to i totally get that part of it it's just she's so flat about did we just kill them yep yep okay cool i'll write a suicide note <laughs> There's yeah. no like sobbing, freaking, I just murdered my best friend and now I have to write a suicide note in her handwriting. All right. It's a Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a big detachment from reality. She's so detached from reality. And I think at the end, in the very end of the movie, in the end, I think she kind of starts coming back to reality and she breaks free from that hold that he had on her, that the Heathers had on her. And starts to be her own person. And so I think it's that kind of journey. She's definitely the, she's, it's the hero's journey is definitely her journey. Um, that's who you're tracking is her. Um, so she's definitely the protagonist and JD is the antagonist, even more so than the Heathers. I mean, he, yeah. So, and we'll be getting to him here shortly, but I do want to first talk about the Heathers, this beautiful group. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, because you have when it starts out, Heather Chandler is the head Heather, um, played by Kim Walker, and then you have Heather Duke, played by Shannon Doherty, and then Heather McNamara, played by Lizanne Falk. And I did want to give just a little quick little trivia thing here about about the colors. So Heather Chandler was red. And then um, Heather Duke was green, and then Heather McNamara was yellow. So those were the colors that represented them. When they'd play croquet, they'd be playing with that. You'd see the scrunchies. Oh my gosh, scrunchies! I still have scrunchies. Everybody, my sister gives me a hard time for using scrunchies, but I still. She's like, it's not 1980 anymore. <laughs> I have a whole drawer full of them. Thank you. I still use them. I <laughs> but they yeah. were they're huge. I didn't have one in here right now, so I just kind of tied my hair up into a knot. Otherwise, it would be up in a scrunchie bun. It's, I will yeah. I will never give them up. Yeah, I, I thought I had one right over here, but I don't. It's right by my bedside. But yes, I, I use them all the time, too. But the thing about the colors is, intentionally or not, the three Heather's signature colors 
mimic the prostitutes with their signature colors in Sejun Suzuki's classic Gate of Flesh. Even their personalities are similar, with red going to the strongest and meanest leader of the group, um, yellow going to the not very bright member, and green going to the one who changes the most in the story by transforming from naive to ferocious. Notably, there is no quote-unquote blue prostitute in Gate of Flesh and no character like Veronica. But that is very, very true with the green one, and all those colors, I think, match the Heathers, because Heather Duke, the Shannon Doherty one, definitely goes from being like, you know, she's called a pillowcase and all that stuff. And then she goes to being the one that wants the power. She takes the red scrunchie, all of that. So she wants to take over for Heather Chandler, basically, after Heather Chandler dies. And notably, Heather Chandler is the only Heather that dies in this movie, which is always so interesting because you do think it's going to be all of them, but it's but it's not, of course. So I want to know, what are your thoughts on the Heathers? <laughs> so it's interesting that you brought up those colors from th- whatever the reference was, because for me, it was always Heather Chandler being the red one. You know, red is such a vibrant, dominant color. She's very much the head of the multi-Heather Hydra that exists. And so it's all of her stuff is very lust and power-based. Right, She takes Veronica to the frat party, knowing full well what's going to happen at the frat party, mm-hmm. because she's going to whatever guy and, you know, servicing him. But everything is very lust-based um, and power-driven, so the red for her tracks. Uh, the Heather Duke, the green, was for me, it was the jealousy and the envy that she wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. And then Heather McNamara is a Heather? She's like a Heather by proxy. She's like the Heather off a wish list. She's not the big, mean, tough Heather. She's like this fluffy. When she calls the hotline, is like, my name's Heather. No, 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 that's stupid. It's Madonna. No, 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 that's dumb. Tweety. Like, oh, girl. You know, and then the scene where she flees the classroom and runs into the bathroom and is taking, trying to take all the pills and Veronica knocks them out of her hand. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, all of my friends, like, everybody that I care about, because it's after the boys' suicide, mm-hmm. you know, and she's just like, I don't know. If, and Veronica's like, if everybody jumped off a cliff, yeah. You know, she's just that very much that follower, timid kind of character. Heather Chandler, as the leader, is just gross and toxic and, like, the OG mean girl is who she is. And I think that's why... She's the one that, you know, has to die of the Heathers. I think Heather Duke's transformation, and at the very end, when Veronica's like, takes the red scrunchie from her and kisses her on the cheek, and you kind of see that Heather go, oh, I'm not really the big dog. You know, like, she's very much the chihuahua. Bark, 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 bark. (laughs) I want to be the big dog. Bark, 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 bark. And then a bigger dog comes, and she's like, okay i'll be my little self again so those are just like the colors and the the heathers i don't they they're so just gross i can't find a good word for them they're just horrible they are it's a hydra monster because i think veronica even makes a comment about like chop off the head of one and another one pops up and so they are very much that 
kind of blech, blech. But it is funny that only one of the Heathers actually dies. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's striking me now. Like, I never really paid attention to it, but I'm like, wait a minute. Why does only one of them get it? Like, yeah, it I is get interesting. The jocks. the jocks deserved it. They were. Not that anybody deserves it, but they deserved it in the movie. Work with me, people. I'm not condoning murder. We're go cow tipping and. Oh my gosh. And just be gross human beings. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they're they're awful, awful. Yeah, yeah. So it really is. I think the for me, it's the colors and their personality dynamics of the Heather's that sticks out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the green envy one is really, really true. Um, and I think with the yellow one, even with with that Heather, is she's the most. She's also just the most um, sunny. Is not the right word, but she's the most. Um, uh, safest in a way she is the least toxic of the three she's very much a follower yes she's like she's in a way like veronica yep. but she's doesn't try to cover up that she's a follower she just is a follower mm-hmm. yeah and she's very much the pretty blonde girl who got scooped up into the group because of how she looks that's exactly what it is, because they don't give a crap about her, but it is very much that. And she doesn't really give a crap about herself, which is, I think, very interesting about that character, especially. I think of all the Heathers, she has the most self-loathing, because I don't think she feels like she has an identity. Um, her identity is being a Heather. It's not being a human being. It's being just a part of the Heathers. And I think if her name had been some other name, I don't know if she would have even been scooped up into this group, to be honest, because she is very much this, like, she does say some mean things, do some mean things, but she is the most tame. I've known, you've known people like this in high school where it is like they are with that popular group, but they really honestly could be scooped up to any group and just go with that group. Whatever group will have them, they will go with kind of thing. And with Red, you know, in um, the documentary that, you know, I talked about last week, Living with Chucky, and go listen to that interview with the director that I did too, Red was chosen for the color of the hair for Chucky because Red, in a lot of instances, represents evil. Like you'll see people with like red hair in, (laughs) in movies will be the bad person, which they're not saying people with red hair are bad or evil or anything like that. It's just that's the way it's represented a lot in in media and in books and in you know fiction and stuff. So that's another reason you could see them using the red is that she's really the evil Heather. And then of course the other Heather becomes the evil Heather later on and they're all, you know but Heather Chandler is presented very much as the evil evil one. And um the scene in when they go to the fraternity frat party is so interesting because it's one of the few times and really the only time in the movie you see this different, this different side of Heather where, you know, she also is just going along with things to fit in. Um, The fact that she, you know, goes down basically on her boyfriend or whoever he is when she clearly does not want to do that. Everything in her body language, everything in her face says she doesn't want to do that. 
and she go she does that and then the next scene that you see with her is she's in the bathroom she's drinking some water and then she spits on her reflection in the mirror so that's the f- only time you see this self-hatred and self-loathing that she has for herself because even though she presents as the evil person the head the big bad the meanest girl, the Regina George of that time, (laughs) you know, Regina George from Mean Girls, she presents as that there is a part of her that hates that and doesn't want to do that stuff. So she also is going along with what she's supposed to do as the popular girl, as the rich girl, as the pretty girl, as the this, that. So she's doing stuff she doesn't want to do too. And then even though she doesn't want to do that sexual stuff, when she hears that Veronica won't, she attacks Veronica for not doing that, which I do, th- which is gross and disgusting, but women do this to each other all the time. It's not just men that um, chastise women. Oh, no. Um, slut shaming is a thing. Oh, yes. And so she is shaming her for this. But I think there's also a part of her that is doing that because she's she's kind of yelling at herself in a way in that scene too, because she's very angry with herself. I think the mirror scene, there's no words. It's just her spitting on her reflection shows you everything you know about who Heather really is. And that's, what's interesting is I'm glad this movie has that scene in there. I don't like it, but I'm glad it has it because I think then you get a glimpse that even though she's a bad person, there's a different thing inside of her. There's this hurt, hurt, young girl who is doing stuff she doesn't want to do. So I I think that's just a very, very powerful scene for her. Um, Which might be the reason she's the only Heather that dies. Yes. That's a very good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) And a little heavy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's, that goes to the, I mean, even though they all kind of, have sex in this well you never you never see shannon doherty's character but um they all kind of do there is kind of that that shame part of that yeah that punishment for her being anyway (laughs) that just kind of blew my mind for a minute there but it is it does always shock me for some reason that there is only one heather that dies because the way this movie presents itself with being titled heathers you would think they're going to go after each heather and it very quickly turns and they don't. It's mainly just going after everybody in this school because almost everybody in this school, with the exception of Betty and Martha, are awful people. Even the people that are like, oh my gosh, what's his name? The guy who's trying to save the world when he's really just an egotistical asshole. And even he is like <laughs> a horrible person. Yeah, he's trying to save the world and then the at the funeral he's like dear god please don't ever let me die by suicide and then trivia fact that actor died by suicide yeah yeah there's his own life yeah um jeremy applegate and that was peter dawson and ash actually speaking of that this is very sad um just to let you know there are quite a few people that have died that were in this movie and in very kind of freaky ways compared to how they, um, what happened to them in this movie or things. It was very prophetic, right? Yeah. Um, so two of the cast members died at young ages in ways which were eerily prophesized by the script. Jeremy Applegate 
like we said, whose character Peter prays he will never commit suicide, shot himself on March 23rd, 2000 at age 34. Kim Walker, whose character Heather Chandler asks, did you have a brain tumor for breakfast, died of a brain tumor on March 6th, 2001 at age 32. Shannon Doherty actually has cancer too. She um, actually recently, it was said that it's now stage four. So a lot of people have, which it's always weird to me when people say, you know, movies are cursed because I don't necessarily think that, but it is kind of eerie how so many people in this, you know, were, have, have died or have been diagnosed with something, you know, sort of anyway. Um, so yeah, that's very, very sad. Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So let's get to JD. Played by Mr. Christian Slater. <laughs> Greetings and salutations. <laughs> Why are the sociopaths always so hot? <laughs> I don't understand. Like, how? How? He should not be that attractive. It's not fair. So, he is narcissistic. He is a sociopath. I think he is a trained sociopath by his father. Oh my gosh. Uh. To be honest, that relationship is super bizarre. Um, there's the scene where it's like, oh, hey, you kids, or didn't hear you. Like, it's that role reversal. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about his mom walking into the building that his dad blew up, knowing that it was going to blow up, and just blah, the whole thing. The whole thing. Father and son are just. I can't, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just gross. It's just gross. But JD is, at one point, he makes a comment about the number of schools he's been to in the number of years. And it's like more schools than there were years. So it's that very transient, always the new kid um, with that super weird dad dynamic who close up buildings for a living you know which is kind of i mean a one hand kind of a cool job like how fun would it be to blow up a building and just watch it tumble B, I don't know that i want to blow up a building um i mean it would be cool to watch it just go that's a whole other podcast um so anyways i just uh, I don't even know where to put him. 
Because it's Christian Slater, and I love him, and he's so good in this role, and he's so convincing. Um, and everything he does, his justifications are they're logical. You go, oh yeah, I can see why you why you thought that or why you did that. You know, it, not justifying it, he should never have done any of them. But his rationalizing of it is like, okay, even up to the end when he convince heather duke to get all of the signatures right Mm -hmm. and every signature is for something different every petition that people are signing is something different there's like a jacuzzi in the lunchroom there's some concert thing there are all these things that people are signing for but when you peel them off it's really a giant suicide pact is what he had everybody sign so that he could be justified in making this big statement to the world about high school and pain and everything and how it all worked, but he did it in the most manipulative jacked up way possible. Right. And you're Mm -hmm. like, I, I get where you're coming from. The world sucks. Right. We, we weren't, we were duped. (laughs) Gen X was duped. We were sold one thing and given something else is, and it's how we were raised. Like you said, we're the latch keys. We're the, you know, we learn to cook and use a stove at a very early age and not burn down the house because we had to, you know, I had a friend in high school who all that he could consume for a while was uh, sweet potatoes when he was in middle school and he turned orange because it was the only thing that he could easily access to fix after school. Like, of course you turned orange. Wow. We were eating your sweet potatoes. You know, <laughs> like we were those kids who had these things happen. And so I get like his dissatisfaction with everything. And especially again with the dad. Like he doesn't have he doesn't have a stable home environment. So you understand why kind of the mentality of him. Again, none of it is justified for any of his actions. Doesn't justify any of it. His relationship dynamic with veronica is super twisted he is that domestic violence boyfriend right mm-hmm. he climbs in her window yeah like, hey and i know that's supposed to be some romantic trope because it happens in movies all the time listen if any jack wagon climbs in my bedroom window you're getting punched like no Come to the front door. Do not come in my window. That's creepy. Mm-hmm. Because that means you've been watching me through said window. That's even creepier. I've never liked the window climbing things. But he is greetings and salutations. And he's the dreamy boy. And he's so cute. And he's so adorable. And it's the whole interaction with the lunchtime poll. Like, oh, are you a Heather? No, I'm a Veronica. You know. That whole thing. Which, as an aside, are you familiar with the Mandela effect? Yes. Okay. There is a Mandela effect that happens in this movie. Because it is Heather, the lunchtime poll, they're talking about, oh, the publisher's sweepstake. And that Ed guy comes and tells you you won. Because I don't know if you're in the same timeline as I am, but publishers, clearinghouse sweepstakes, Ed McMahon is the one who did it. No, apparently he didn't. If you Google it now, it is not Ed McMahon. But it was in the commercials. Yes, you and I are from the same timeline. There is a new timeline where it is not. 
There are commercials. I swear there are commercials where Ed McMahon gives you that, like where it's seen in the commercials. Yes, but if you Google Ed McMahon and Publishers Clearinghouse, he never worked for them. But he did the commercials. Nope. Apparently not. I'm going to YouTube. I I remember the commercials. (laughs) I remember him doing the things. They said no. I was like, who? (sighs) Anyways. There, there was a Mandela effect that happened. Yes, he is. I'm looking at one right now. Did you Google? <laughs> I know, but it's on you- YouTube, I'm looking at a commercial right now. Ed McMahon on the Publishers Clearinghouse. Yes, and then they're saying that he never did it. Well, never worked for him. They're saying yeah. yes, but he was in the commercials. Because I'm looking at the commercials. Perfect. Feels <laughs> so much better. This goes back to our celebrity conspiracy theories episode. My God. Okay. Anyways, yes. JD. And he rescues her. Rescues her. Right? From the drunk cow tipping encounter. He rescues her. He runs into her in the convenience store and buys her the, you know, the icy slushy slurpy thing. Like he is her out from the heathers but he's not a better out but yeah. greetings and salutations and i was in sold <laughs> sign me up yeah <laughs> i would have gone for him in high school too 100 percent. oh yeah and i probably would have done the same thing and been like i shouldn't be going along with this but we're going <laughs> we're going yeah yeah He's the guy every person should run in the other direction from, but I would have been running towards too. And I mean, he's dangerous. He's sexy. He's got the dark hair. He was totally my, I mean, catnip, basically. (laughs) I mean, really. Uh, And the thing about him is he plays like he is the victim when he is the perpetrator in a lot of respects and um he plays like the victim because you know he saw his mom um kill herself and wave bye to him because she walked into a building right before his dad blew it up he uh is living with a dad who is also a narcissist and their relationship all the parent relationships are weird but this is bizarre you know they basically talk to each other like they're the other one um, you know, JD talks like he's the dad, the dad talks like the son, and they think it's really funny, but it's really just bizarre. The dad is basically getting off on blowing up buildings in a very yucky way. You're not sure if JD has ever killed anyone before. You get the feeling he may have. And he basically is using Veronica's trauma and her pain as a way for him to kill people. That's what he's doing. He's just using it. He's manipulating it. He's gaslighting her. He gaslights her with um, the first cup when he when they kill Heather Chandler, and he's got the cup with the whatever. What is it that she drinks again? It's like Drano. It's yeah, Drano or something. Yeah. And then the orange juice and milk in yeah. one cup. And so um, Veronica grabs the one by mistake when they're kissing, and he knows it, and he lets her do it. Um, But he gaslights her into believing you really wanted to do that. You just wouldn't let yourself. And she believes that because she had just written something in her diary saying, I need to kill Heather. But it's one of those things you write in your diary and you don't mean. 
but she believes that she did do it. He says the German word, the, the ick, the bullets. Uh, I lied. <laughs> which are, I lie. That means I lied. And he, he tells her point blank, I'm lying to you. And so then later, but when. But he asked her first, do you speak German? She's like, no, I, I don't yes, speak German. Yes, but he's, he's like, still, okay, well, here you go. And then he says it. He still knows what he's doing. He's still oh, manipulating God, yeah. her. And he, I guess there was, a, I guess originally Veronica would have, was going to have a cat and she was going to say, okay, well, I want to try these bullets on my cat then and see how this, and he stopped her apparently because he says the bullets just tranquilize the victim. We're not going to really kill him. But he, he knows he's lying. And then he gaslights her later and says, you know, they have the whole argument in the car where they're, you know, it's kind of funny, but it's really gross. Where they're going, and he's like, "Yes, you did. Yes, you did." She's like, "No, I didn't. No, I didn't." It's a perfect, you know, domestic abuse situation there, where he's like, "No, you really did," even though he knows she didn't. But he's gaslighting her into believing that. He gaslights her in the end with blowing up the school. I mean, when he goes um, and crawls into her bedroom window towards the end, and he's already told her parents, "You should watch out. She's going to kill herself," and she's faked it but she's hung herself and she's not really but and he's like i can't believe you actually went through with it i was just joking i mean yes i came up here to kill you but i was gonna he's like i love you but i did come up here to kill you but i was gonna try and convince you you know i was trying to gonna try and win you back with telling you that i basically had the whole school sign a suicide pact and i'm gonna blow up the school but he's still gaslighting her even when she's quote unquote dead which she's not really but he's still gaslighting her the whole time and this is a character that in the first few minutes when you really meet him, other than him just watching her in the cafeteria, he pulls out a gun in the first few minutes and shoots blanks at um, Ram and um, at the, the jocks. He goes ahead and just shoots blanks at them. So you first see him with a gun, a gun. That right there is like <laughs> red flag, red flag, red flag. And she thinks it's funny and charming. and it's. And a lot of that, I think, Ram and Kurt. And I think a lot of that is she, once again, wants to get so out of this other thing that she's just overlooking those red flags. But he's horrible. He grabs her a few times and kisses her without she, without her wanting him to. Even at the end, when they're in the boiler room and he's beating her up and you know she's trying to stop him from blowing up the school and he still kisses her, still forces a kiss on her, still assaults her. And so it is this very gross, gross dynamic where he is presenting himself as the solution and as being the um, antithesis of all this horrible stuff in high school. But really, he is just a narcissist, a psychotic. He probably, if he hadn't blown himself up, he probably would have ended up being like a serial killer. And he's just not, not a good person at all. And it is very much an abusive relationship from the beginning to the end. Veronica is in a very abusive relationship, you know, um, and I'll get to it here when we're, when we get switch into the other things, the original ending of this, I think would have been kind of harmful to the fact that Veronica does kind of get away from that abusiveness. She breaks free and in watching him die, watching him blow himself up, there is this kind of catharsis in there where that's her last way of breaking free from this very toxic manipulative relationship that she's in. I'm not saying, you know, watching someone die is great and wonderful. 
I'm just saying symbolically, that's kind of what she does there. We're going to now move into a lot of the stuff of how this handle, this film handles suicide, um, also a trigger warning for eating disorders, because there's mind-blowing, <laughs> oh my gosh, a scene here that I do want to talk about in sexual assault, homophobia, teen violence, school violence. So a couple of things here. The original screenplay had a different ending in which Veronica kills JD by shooting him. And then she straps the bomb, a much larger and more complicated piece of equipment described as being a cylinder as large as a television set, to herself, blowing up as JD does in the final ending. What is placed in the final ending as JD's boiler room speech about, imagine I blew up the school, imagine I blew up all the schools, is contained in a suicide note found in Veronica's locker by Heather McNamara and Betty Finn. The movie ends with an eerie prom sequence set in heaven, tying with JD's assertion that the only place everyone will truly get along is in heaven. The prom begins with students dancing within their social cliques, then switching partners in odd pairings like metalheads dancing with Heathers and one of the murdered jocks getting his prom picture taken with a tipped cow. The punch being served is the drain cleaner used in the first murder scene. This was intended to be shot, but the studio thought it was too dark for the target teenage crowd and opted for a lighter ending, which I don't necessarily think this is a light ending. But I think if that had happened, I honestly think that would negate any growth from Veronica, completely negate it all. And I would have absolutely hated that. (laughs) I honestly would have hated that ending. I, I just think that would have ruined the whole movie. Also, as an aside, you're saying a TV-sized bomb, and I need people to understand that in the 1980s, TVs were not flat-screen TVs. Yeah. We're talking big, giant, honking things that took three people to move. Mm-hmm. We're not talking a flat-screen that one person can pick up in a box and put in the backseat of their car. We're talking you need a pickup truck and three beefy men to pick up a TV and move it. You are not yeah. strapping a TV-sized bomb, even if it was like one of the smaller ones Winona Ryder is not a large human. She is a tiny, petite little thing. Can you picture her with a TV-sized bomb <laughs> strapped to her? Because I cannot. Yes. I mean, sometimes they'd have wood. We had one that had the wood paneling and stuff on it. Yeah. So they'd be like, they were pieces of furniture. They yeah, weren't like. <laughs> yeah, this is not, a, I'm going to grab my flat screen and strap it to myself and be able to walk. This is, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. They you're were not even holding it up. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. like that ending. Yeah. yeah, I hate that ending. I'm so glad that that didn't happen. Uh, it's one of the few times with a studio stepping in that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> because it also totally negates, it t- totally damages her character to have her do that. It It's just awful, I think. Yeah. Um, not the murdering JD part, which again, we're not condoning murder, but not that part. It's the part of her actually blowing herself up. That's yep. horrible. Mm-hmm. And then for the sexual assault stuff, there are quite a few instances of sexual assault in this movie. Um, and one of the biggest ones, and this is what and Winona Ryder claims, that um, she has many favorites moments in this film. And the one that usually comes to mind <laughs> is when she is walking up the hill after seeing JD in the cow tipping scene. 
In the background, just barely visible, Heather McNamara is being date raped. She is being date raped by one of the jocks. And Ryder says the scene is so subversive and dark that once you notice it, you can't stop thinking about it. And I don't know how much it impacted me um, before, but watching this last night and watching the fact that her supposed friend is in the background being date raped. You can see she's trying to push this guy off of her and it's happening. And her friend leaves her. Veronica leaves her there when there's also another guy who is a, who could potentially be attacking her too is so flipping disturbing. And I'm not saying it's not accurate because sadly it is very accurate to things that can happen, but it's so disturbing because it's never mentioned, never talked about. Nobody even acknowledges it's happening, which makes it more disturbing, which in a way, even though you could critique it for that, in a way it's actually more accurate than a lot of things would be. (laughs) But it's so disturbing. She's just back there and she doesn't do anything. No one even says anything about it. It's never acknowledged. Well, and even Heather doesn't acknowledge it because she, in the scene in the bathroom when she's taking the pills, she's like, everybody around me keeps dying. The last guy I had sex with Mm -hmm. died by suicide. And so she considers it that she had sex with him, but you can very clearly see that that was not the consensual plan of, you know, her idea of sex. Like, she's pushing and trying to get away from him and he's just gross and slobbery all over her but yeah yeah but i did want to talk about how well or not so well the film handles suicide sexual assault homophobia and teen violence because of course ram and kurt they kill each other quote unquote they don't really of course and it's supposed to be because they're madly in love with each other because the f word is used so much in this movie and especially by them more than basically mainly just by them. Um, there are a couple of other, the cops that find them, of course. Um, and of course there's stereotypes of they leave these items in there, the, you know, mineral water being the, the biggest one there in Ohio and everybody has to have a beer. Joan Crawford. <laughs> yes. So all Those of these guards. stereotype things in there. <laughs> so there is that part. So how well or not so well, or how do you think the film does with all of this stuff? No. No, the f- the film doesn't. I wrote a list, so it's like bullying, bulimia, uh, homophobia, the gun violence in school, the murder slash suicide that are occurring, slut shaming. Because there's this scene after the cow tipping where one of the girls they're in the newspaper thing, and one of the girls is like, "Oh, well, I hear you like," or the boys had a sword fight in your mouth or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's very slut shamey, fat phobic, because they're giving Martha a hard time at the beginning and trying to like write the note as if one of the jock boys wrote it to her. And so um, they they don't handle they just they they call it all out. It's all there. I don't know that there's any handling of it. <laughs> As much as, hey, look, here's the token bulimia scene. 
where Heather's in the bathroom and Shannon oh Doherty, my. or Shannon Doherty's Heather's in the bathroom going, Veronica. Oh Veronica holds God. up her fingers like, a friend's job is never done. You know, and it's like, she's going to shove her finger down her throat to help her throw up. Say skinny, because that's, you had to be skinny. If you weren't skinny, you weren't worthy. Had to be thin. Um, the homophobia was huge. Like you said, it's all the jock boys say, yeah. you know, the derogatory terms over and over and over. I don't even know. At one point, it's just like part of their vocabulary. It's not even like they're trying to be overtly mean to anybody. They just say it. It's just coming out. Obviously, the suicides that happen, you know, with the jock boys and with Heather aren't actual suicides. They're murder, set up like suicide. The one suicide that is there is his JD's at the end. Yeah. Veronica fakes her suicide, which to this day, I'm still trying to figure out how that all worked, but it worked. The sexual assault stuff is just off the charts, <laughs> but it's accurate. It is accurate, actually. It's the, it's the frat party. It's that scene where she spits the water because she hates herself for something she did, but she was pressured into it. And that was unfortunately the, at the time period, there was a lot of, it's easier just to go along with it than to actually try and get out of it because you're going to be shamed mm -hmm. so hard either way you cannot win women cannot win because you are either prude or you're a whore there is no in between and i think this movie kind of showed that with the slut shaming and the not living it down and then heather's hating herself for what she did mm -hmm. you know and the fat phobic calling her martha dump truck and joking about how she tried to end her life with a suicide note taped to her chest and just just goes to show the common people can't live up to the rest of us or whatever she says yeah where you're just like you're such a gross human so no i don't think it handles it <laughs> at all i think it just calls it all out it just lays it all out there. I don't think there's, because there's nowhere where they actually try and deal with it. There's the hippy dippy teacher that's like, we have to come together in Kumbaya. And then she brings in the news crew. So she's not trying to do good for the kids. She's trying to make herself look like she's doing good. Mm -hmm. She's not actually helping. She's, it's very self promotion of, we need to show the love and come together. Um, you know, and then even like you said, the guy who's trying to save the world. None of them yeah. are in it. None of them are trying to overcome the bad things that are happening until the very end where JD straps the bomb to himself and is like, well, if I can't take out everybody else, I may as well just take out myself. Yeah. Which still, you know, leaves Veronica, who is, you know, not coming clean about those murders. She's going to leave them as suicides. So mm -hmm. she's not even going to come clean with that. Because they they were him. She could have technically been like, oh, he did it. And now he blew himself up. <laughs> yeah. That was a terrible rant. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't terrible. I just, I don't think that they, I don't think they dealt with things. Um, they just, they put them out there for everybody. Yeah. Please give me an example where they handled something. <laughs> I can't, I cannot think of one. So please tell me you have no, something. They they don't they and maybe handled wasn't the right word to use on there but I just 
mainly, you know, how they portray this stuff and talk about this stuff. Cause they're not really, they're, they're not really talking about it. They're basically putting a mirror up to society and reflecting back how society doesn't talk about this stuff and society doesn't deal with it. So we're not going to, or they put a bandaid on a gushing open wound. They put a little tiny bandaid. So it's that handling it. Um, and I'll just this quote from um, the American Film Institute. According to the March 23rd, 1989 Los Angeles Times, um, Daniel Waters, who's the writer, based the script on the high school experience of his sister and her friends, as well as a chapter about the cultivation of female identity in Simone de Beauvoir's, excuse me, I cannot speak today, 1949 book, The Second Sex. He also told the LA Times that he had grown tired of Hollywood's romanticization of suicide and that he believed most people actually harbor an ultimate fantasy of attending their own funeral, which was really, which is really interesting. Um, and especially where he said, says he got tired of Hollywood romanticizing suicide, which yes, it's horrible. And What's interesting about that to me is that I think you could make the argument that in some respects, this film romanticizes suicide in some kind of little tiny respects. It does in a way. I mean, it shows that, you know, after Heather Chandler dies, you see all these people come forward and talk about how much they loved her when they all hate her and they romanticize her and turn her into this person that um you know she wasn't and like peter's character says she broke up with me and said i was boring and now i realize that wasn't true she just <laughs> she just you know wasn't she wasn't being herself or whatever his exact quote is and the way the whole um staff handles it where they don't even want to give the day the kids a full day off to grieve and the principal says, was this the Heather that's a cheerleader? And when he says, no, he's like, oh, I would have considered a full day for a cheerleader. Yep. Which is just, holy crap. But even though this film <laughs> is very gross in some respects and is kind of like just putting this stuff out there and could be very triggering and doesn't ever really deal with the underlying causes of suicide or anything like that or doesn't deal with that well or handle it well. The thing is, it's actually pretty darn accurate about the way this stuff was talked about then and the way it was quote unquote handled then. And I've spoken before about how in the 80s and 90s, kids were being hospitalized a lot. Um, a lot of teenagers were hospitalized. And it wasn't it was under this guise of actually dealing with mental health and helping troubled teens. But it was just another way, honestly, for a lot of parents, because I knew so many kids that were hospitalized because of this, but a lot of parents not wanting to deal with their kids. So it was another way of treating kids like they were disposable and like they were too much of a burden and another latchkey symptom. It really was, which is really disturbing because you put a kid who is maybe in a trauma situation or going through just normal teenage angst and you put them in um, a hospital, which if you've ever been hospitalized, being hospitalized is a very, very traumatic experience. And if you go through that as a teenager, and I'm not, and I want to stress, 
if you are feeling suicidal, if you're feeling anything where you are a danger to yourself, I do think you should still go seek help. I want to stress that. But it's not always good help that you end up receiving, sadly. And a lot of the way it's treated, it kind of can compound that trauma. And so if you're a teenager and you're always experiencing that, and then they're going to traumatize you some more. I honestly think a lot of this movie is talking about that, where it's like, we recognize that there's suicide out there, but what we're going to do is we're going to have a get together in the cafeteria and hold hands. We're going to give you half a day off. We're going to write this song, Teenage Suicide, Don't Do It, Um, which in a way, honestly, if you look at those lyrics, it's also a band-aid. It's also a way of victim blaming, honestly. (laughs) And I think when it comes to suicide, that happens all the time where people mistakenly call it a selfish act. And that totally negates dealing with the actual underlying causes and the root causes of suicide. And so I do think even though there's problematic things galore with this, the way, the way, um, how homophobic it is and the fat phobia, it's so blatant and so gross and disgusting. And it never, and that's the one part that I'm never quite sure if they're ever trying to really condemn that or not. But the other stuff, the suicide, the way that's handled, as awful as it is, I do have to say this is one of the most honest depictions of the way it's handled in society. The way that the world, especially back then, would treat this when that happened. It was very much a, um, just don't do it. Just like with, you know, just say no. The drug Which we all know how well that worked. Yeah, it's the sa- it's the same kind of thing. So even though it's hard to say they really handled this or they did a good portrayal, I do think what they are ultimately saying and critiquing here of how society just doesn't want to look at this stuff and really deal with it. They want to romanticize it or um, you know, put like a a band-aid like I said on something that's gushing and they also want to just push it aside and not have to look at it is very accurate. And the sexual assault stuff, sadly, is so accurate that it's really painful. The scene, the the cow tipping scene where you see Heather being assaulted in the background is so blatantly realistic though with the way we see this stuff happen, we hear about this stuff happen and we just don't care. Um, And people don't do anything about it. So it, it, it's weird because I do critique this movie for some of the way it handles this stuff and how it never seems to really seem, it seems very cold and callous about this stuff, especially with, I think the homophobia more than anything and the sexual assault to a degree and how blatant it's there. And they never really call it that, even though there are some jokes they make about date rape. I still, I still think in a lot of respects, it's very realistic, which is even more depressing in a way. So um, that was kind of my roundabout way of talking about But I just, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's just. It's hard, right? The movie is 35 years old, which seems (laughs) obscene. That's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) That's really gross. Thanks for ruining my day. No, I'm just kidding. Right? I just ruined my own, so I'm taking you down with me. That's love. That's friendship. Hey, my day went to the shitter. Come with me. Um, but I do, you know, yes. Nowadays, if this movie was cur-
current, I think a lot of those scenes would be handled differently. Yeah. I would hope. It would. Like, I would hope that the cow tipping scene would involve, you know, Veronica going to her friend's aid, recruiting JD to help her friend get both of them out of the situation, right? 35 years ago, it was like, then you're going to end up in the same boat. Yeah. Right? Like, do I try and save my friend or do I end up in danger with my friend? Do I escape with the one that I'm supposed to escape with? Who might eventually kill me anyways? Like, which Mm -hmm. course of death would I like? (laughs) Death in a cow pasture or death on the back of a motorcycle? (laughs) Because I feel like that's the choice in that scene. No, it is. That's very true. You know. It's very true. No, it's but true. We will still love the movie, and I will still watch it at any point, as problematic and tragic as it is. Yeah, it's, I mean, because I do still love this movie. I still was completely into it last night when I was watching it. But it, I mean, it, it's, it's, I think you kind of have to point those things out, though, because I, I would love to read or hear from people you know, that are like, that didn't grow up with this movie and hear what their thoughts are on this movie, because I know people still watch it. So I would love for that. So if you are in that generation and want to let us know, I was, I was hoping we would have had Jackie on because I would have, because Jackie, um, who hasn't been on, she's one of our panelists, but she hasn't been on in a long time. I was hoping she could be on this one because I know how much she loves this movie. We did a live tweet of this movie, like about like, I don't know, like, eight years ago or something like that. And she is younger. So I just would have been curious to hear what it was about this movie and how it might've been different for, for her generation. Yeah. We need Gen Z feedback. That's the real feedback. Yeah. I really want to hear from Gen Z on how they feel about this. (laughs) Millennials are going to be like the older millennials are going to be maybe like baby millennials. Yeah, and I think that's Gen what Z. Jackie falls into. I think Jackie is a baby millennial. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jackie, because I'm sure you'll probably listen to this one because I asked her to be on and she unfortunately couldn't and she was bummed because she does love this movie so much. So I, I am curious about that. We were actually going to have Susie on, which it would have been great to hear because Susie's a younger generation. So it would have been interesting to hear her, her thoughts on it as well. But sadly, um, she couldn't make it. But yeah, please, please let us know in the comments, um, message us. I just would be curious to know how this stuff sits with you because it is so like, uh, but I will say, you know, there was a, there was that series 13 reasons why, which I hate this series with, oh my gosh, I hate this series. And this series, that series is all about this kind of stuff. Um, all of this stuff that we're talking about is what it's about. And I think that series is very dangerous and very damaging and did a lot of harm. And someday we will actually talk about this series. I just don't, I have to get to the point where I want to actually put myself through watching that, watching it again. But I think that that is a harmful series as well. I think I only saw like two episodes of it and I was like, nope, I'm out. Yeah. The, um, the, the suicide that they, the suicide scene Holy moly. Uh, that was one of the roughest things I've ever watched in my life. 
So, yeah, I mean, I think that show is very harmful. So I think even though we're talking about how we hope it would do better, that's a show that's more recent. And that did awfully awful. It was awful at teen violence, too. It was awful at sexual assault stuff. It was awful at school shooting stuff. It did all of that stuff. Is there a good way to handle it considering society can't handle it? Or is it just reflective of society? That's a good question. Uh, that's a really good question because like how could we reflect it? Like how could we show all of the good ways to handle these trigger mm-hmm. points when society can't get it together and handle it? That's a really good question. We should do an episode about that seriously, because I don't know if there is, that's the thing is that there will be some movies I think that do it better. I think the big thing is how you show certain things like how you show suicide is a big thing because if you show it romantically, which a lot of movies do and a lot of media does, even when they are saying they're not, then that's an issue, especially if you are in a place where you're feeling suicidal and you're watching something like that. And talking about it on the podcast too, I also am sometimes like, that's why I give the trigger warning because I'm like, I don't know what could trigger you that I'm saying, you know. Um, and as someone who struggled with that their whole life, I, I understand how some things that you might not even know are going to be triggering might trigger you. So it's hard. And with school violence and school shootings, that is really difficult to know because, you know, it, like you'll see things where they talk about it. And like there was an episode of um, the show One Tree Hill, for instance, like years ago, and they had a character that went into the school with a gun. And he ended up being presented more as um, a character that was just bullied and was fed up with bullying. When we know that the the myth around Columbine is that those kids were bullied and that's why they did it. And they're actually, a lot of that stuff is not factual. The stuff that they've said about those shooters is actually not factual. And, you know, they were just horrible human beings, especially Eric and so a lot of the stuff they've said about those shooters isn't actually accurate. And it's been, you know, kind of skewed throughout history and time. And um, so it's that kind of thing, or, you know, you'll have uh, like in um, American horror story in the very first season, when you have the Tate character who shot up his school and very much in a reminiscent of the Columbine thing. And, he is romanticized like, oh my gosh, teenage girls love that character. And so that is problematic too. So how do you, and you know, we critique Ryan Murphy left and right. He does horrible things all the time, but how do you portray that stuff and talk about it? Because I think it should be talked about, but because if you ignore it, it's kind of like ignoring reality. But then if you talk about it too much, are you encouraging it? Are you? So that's a very good question. Yeah. And I, I'm just going to throw it out there. This is going completely off track here, but like the, I didn't watch the Dahmer series that came out um, Mm -hmm. because I, I won't, I won't watch it. Victims, whatever. Not, I'm just not part of it, but my students, my high school students watched it. They were a flabbergasted that I was alive when Dahmer (laughs) was doing stuff. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, yes. 
very much alive. I, I remember. I remember news. It's fine. Shut up. Uh, miss, how old are you? I'm like, just stop. Um, but some of the girls were like, but he's so hot. He's so cute. And I'm like, I... I don't... Can you make somebody ugly enough, unattractive enough that they won't be like, but the serial killer is so hot. Like... I don't think you can. Yeah. Because let's talk about Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, who got married in prison because he was getting fan mail from women. I'm like, have you seen that man? Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy, like all of them. So I don't know that media can successfully do stuff because the what we consume is based on, and this is super shallow, but a lot of it is the attractiveness of people. Yeah. Right. You want good-looking actors because they look good on TV, they look good on movies, they look good on screen together, they have good chemistry, they need to have this thing. So how can you have this gross, ugly topic be successfully handled when people are attracted to the characters that are doing the bad? Does that make sense? Oh, it's perfect sense. That's exactly... That's why, you know, with the Dahmer thing, it it wasn't necessary to do that. It wasn't necessary um to re-traumatize the victims and you thought you were doing something and that was so flippin' successful like it was one of the most successful shows that netflix has ever done ever which is why there's going to be more of them and you have someone like evan peters who is lusted after and has played so many killers that that man's needs a break. <laughs> he needs he some like so cotton candy, like he's a firefighter who saves kittens. I know. Come on. Let's just make an hour and a half of him saving kittens out of trees to like undo <laughs> the acting trauma of all of these horrible characters. I don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. Like I don't he's not one of the actors that I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch everything he does, mostly because it's American Horror Story, and I had to give up on that, um, which I know makes you sad, but I just couldn't. It does not make me sad. Are you kidding me? I wish I could give up that show. Are you kidding me? I have so many issues with that show, but. Um, But yeah, he, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know if he's a good guy or bad guy, because some actors are good guys, some actors are bad guys, and I don't know where he falls in the spectrum. But I do feel like that man needs an hour and a half long movie of climbing ladders and saving kittens possibly rescuing some baby raccoons out of a drain where they climb all over him and are cute or you know hanging out with capybaras something yes he needs i mean because from all accounts i I think he's a good person i don't know he 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 annoys me only he doesn't annoy me it's ryan murphy's use of him annoys me because he casts him in so many roles where he is playing. And this isn't always the case. Cause I, I, I like him a lot in um, American horror story hotel. And I like him actually in asylum as well. Um, but so many, so often the characters he plays in American horror story and in the Ryan Murphy universe in general are really horrible people, but they're romanticized in a way that so many um, young teenage girls love him. And so then they are kind of, they feel bad for these characters. Like there are so many fan vids made about Tate 
and all of that. And then all those fan vids made about, um, about Jeffrey Dahmer, but because of Evan Peters. And I will admit, I did start to watch the first episode. I didn't want to watch it because of everything, but uh, with the victims and everything, but I was like, okay. And I started and it, I've watched a lot of serial killer stuff in my time and read a lot. Uh, we recently did an interview with um, Andrew Dean, who recently wrote a book about a fictional serial killer um, called Chameleon. And I love that you're like, fictional, fictional. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's fictional. And I do find the serial killer thing fascinating. So I know I'm part of the problem there. But this was. Um, I couldn't finish it. I just couldn't even because it was so gross. It was just, there was something so off putting about it that it should be off putting, but off putting because I was like, there are so many people watching this. So I was like, I can't do that. That's horrible. So I'm not going to watch this. So yeah. Anyway, I mean, that may have seemed like we went on a tangent, but I do think it's all kind of connected, but I do think we will have to do an episode at some point where we do talk about if there is a way to talk about this stuff, because I do think there's stuff that we should stop doing um, when it comes to this. So, you know, but now we are going to go to something fun and I know Sasha is playing. So it's time to do six degrees of Finn Whitrock. So, Sasha, how did you connect Finn to Heathers? Okay, so I have two. I'm going to do the first one because I really like the first one, but I think I might have cheated. So, <laughs> just go with me. Okay. The intro song to Heathers is K Sarah Sarah, uh-huh. which is performed by Sid Straw. Okay. Also did a song for the film Crybaby, which starred <laughs> Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm who starred in a video with White Zombie, work with me, and the song, White Zombie song, Thunder Kiss 65, was on an episode of Yellowstone, which stars Wes Bentley, who was in American Horror Story with Finn. Wow. That was amazing. Oh my gosh, that's going to be one of my favorites. I think I might have one too many connections in there, but I'm not sure. Let's see. So you've got... So the song by yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I love it too much to put it to be like no. I know. So we're just gonna go with it. <laughs> we're gonna go with it. Okay. And what's the other one? The other one is Christian Slater was in Robin Hood with Alan Rickman, who was in Die Hard, and then Bruce Willis has been in all the Die Hards. Mm-hmm. So the most recent Die Hard, A Good Day to Die Hard, had Bruce Willis's son in the movie was Jai Courtney, who was in the movie Unbroken with Finn. Oh, I, I think that's the first time we've used Un. No, that isn't the first time we've used Unbroken. Ah, cool. Well, I, I like both of those. And my, I've said this before. The funny thing is, is, is I love doing these six degrees of Finn. And we're going to do something about Finn on our May twentieth. I'm not sure yet what it's going to be, but um. But I love doing these. <laughs> I love doing these, but it's funny because I don't even, I forget and I'll start, I'll do them like five minutes before we're supposed to be recording usually. <laughs> um, but this one I had in my head and I could have done a different way and come up with something more creative, but whatever. So um, Shannon Doherty, I used Shannon Doherty, was in Beverly Hills, 90210, of course. 
And also in that was Tiffany Thiessen, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, also by that. And Tiffany Thiessen was in White Collar. Go and listen to our episode last year talking about that show. And also in White Collar, Collar was the amazing Matt Bomer. And you could use different ways of connecting from Matt Bomer, but Matt Bomer's been in a bunch of things with Finn, so that's the easiest way to do it. So since we've used American Horror Story, I will again shout out The Normal Heart, um, which is one of the few Ryan Murphy projects I don't really have critiques of. I love The Normal Heart so much. Um, Go listen to our episode covering that. It's one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. So thank you so much, Sasha. I think this has been a really, really good conversation. I really, really appreciate you joining me on this one. And I really would love to hear from the listeners on this one. You're in, I really would. I would like to hear your thoughts on this movie um, and how it holds and how it holds up or doesn't hold up and how you think it does. And also on that question of, is there ever a good way to talk about this stuff? Um, so please let us know. And like I said, we will definitely talk about this at some point. We've talked about mental illness and that portrayals, but I do think it'd be important to dive into these things as well. We're going to go ahead and close out. So Sasha, where can everybody find you? Yep. You can find me on the Instagram. Uh, vegan geek chick is my Instagram right now. It's, uh, pretty chaotic. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I'm doing a Lord of the Rings walk. I am walking to Mordor. Um, That is my challenge to try and stay healthy. So I'm walking. And so Lord of the Rings is the one. So I get these cool little medals and I'm supposed to be getting my first one today because I walked my first 145 miles, which may not seem like a lot to people who hike and do things, but it's huge for this fluffy uh, indoor hobbit that never leaves her home. So you can kind of go on that journey with me at Vegan Geek Chick. And then if you like dog content, you can follow <laughs> my 30-pound half dachshund uh, half tray of lasagna. Uh, his Instagram is linked through mine. Awesome. And congratulations. Seriously, congratulations. Thank you. Um, and if speaking of cute dogs, be sure to follow Fergie on TikTok at Schroeder and Fergs. That's S-C-H-R-O-E. D-E-R-A-N-D-F-E-R-G-S. And remember, try to make Fergie's dream of starring in Cocaine Fergie with Penn Badgley come true. Remember, it wouldn't be real cocaine. It would just be snow or fluffy powder. I don't know. But make that dream come true. Uh, be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. On TikTok at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. Um, if you have any feedback, show notes, any feedback on this episode, once again, um, if you would like to be a potential interview guest on the show, and if you would also like to be a potential part of our May 20th marathon streaming event, if you are a creator, a fellow podcaster, we especially want to reach out to any marginalized community, any community that doesn't get as much attention out there please feel free to reach out to us via our website. It's a fandomthingpod.com. There's a specific page for the marathon streaming event there too. And that'll shoot me an email and I'll try to get back to you as soon as I can. And like I said, this is the kickoff of Gen X movie month. So the other three movies we're going to be covering is next week, we're going to be talking about Reality Bites. So that'll be a ton of fun. I have not watched that movie in like decades. So it's going to be very interesting (laughs) revisiting that one. I've been watching a lot of TikToks with Ethan Hawke talking about 
uh, gushing about Winona Ryder and Winona Ryder getting him that role and changing his career and everything, which is very interesting. Uh, and I'll probably be sharing a lot of those on our TikTok. Um, and then uh, we are going to be talking about, uh, we're going to round it out. Sorry, we're going to round it out with clerks. And then also just to let you know, we are also going to be doing a Gen X movie for our Patreon supporters. I had the a cold, so I wasn't able to do my drawing because we had a three-way tie on what it would be. It would be Hackers, uh, Suburbia, or Chasing Amy. So I'm going to randomly draw one out. So one of those we will be talking about. We also have had a lot of great content on there. We recently did The Banshees of Inisherin. We did Cocaine Bear. Uh, <laughs> I loved doing that episode so much. <laughs> um, we also did um, Tanya's Marxist Corner talking about the menu. That was fun, too. Uh, we did a bonus Christian Bale episode. We did an episode talking about Notting Hill. So we have a bunch of other things coming up for May. We are going to do um, Renfield. And we are also going to do a commentary track for some comedy film. Not sure what it'll be. So we're going to do, basically, you'll have to hit play on the movie and you'll listen to us talk about it. That will be like no editing. So if you want to become a Patreon supporter and get some bonus content, go to the link in our show notes. And for as little as three bucks a month, you can help the show. So thank you again to Sasha for joining me for this episode. And thank you to everybody for listening. And until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.